from TSN, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Everybody. Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? Uh, it's going pretty good. Not much happened this weekend, and that's good, honestly. <laughs> yeah, how's the weather been going in Calgary this week? Uh, it's been warm. It's been good. Yeah, it's actually been weird. It actually hasn't been very warm here. It's actually it was raining a couple of days, and it's been warm the last couple of days. Mm. Yeah. So, Tim, I'm very excited to get together today because today's episode is our 2020 NHL playoffs first round recap slash second round predictions episode. And it's going to be a great one. We've got a lot of content to talk about. Now, unfortunately, we got to start off this episode on... A bit of a sad note. Uh, this past week, the NHL did lose former Winnipeg Jet, Buffalo Sabre, St. Louis Blue, and Philadelphia Flyer, Dale Howarchuk, who lost his battle with cancer this past week. You know, and you look at his career, you know, he had over 1,400 points, 500 goals, one rookie of the year. When you talk about the greatest players of all time, Dale Howarchuk doesn't get mentioned nearly enough. And honestly, when we were talking about Pierre Turgeon, in our Hockey Hall of Fame wishlist episode, I made the mention about how Pierre Turgeon's accomplishments really kind of went unnoticed, A, because of the period he played in, A, also because he was a French-Canadian when Mario Lemieux was in the league. Dale Howarchuk was kind of the same thing because when he played in the NHL and most of his success came with the Winnipeg Jets, he had the unfortunate circumstances of being on a Winnipeg Jets team, which was good, not great, but also you got to realize he was in the division with the 80s Oilers. Oh yeah, that's not, you're not getting out of that division no matter how much you try. And it was really sad. I mean, and I was looking through some of his stats there today. And honestly, I mean, which is weird because when I was growing up reading about hockey players, Howard Chuck was not a guy whose name got mentioned a ton, and, you know, I'm looking through some of the stats here. He had a lot of junior success. He played in five All-Star games. He won Rookie of the Year, bronze medal winner, World Championships, and uh, won a silver medal in the World Championships in 89 World Championships. But I think, internationally, his biggest success came when he played on the 1987 Canada Cup team, and his linemates was Murray Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, and uh, once you finally get like those power line mates, uh, you can kind of see what players are capable at at their highest level. So uh, the man had an incredible career. Uh, it's a shame that was just in a place that got overshadowed by the 
those 80s Oilers teams. Exactly. And, of course, that sort of success eluded him in other cities he played in, like Buffalo, because he was in the division with Montreal and Boston at that time. And we can't forget that probably the closest he ever came to winning the Cup was in 97 with the Philadelphia Flyers, despite the fact Philly got swept by the Red Wings that year. Well, like, the thing is, is if you do get that close, you still came pretty close. Exactly. And, you know, and just because his career kind of got overshadowed by Gretzky, it doesn't mean that 100% he was overlooked because he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2001, he was inducted into the Buffalo Sabres Hall of Fame in 2011, and in 2007, he was actually inducted into the Phoenix Coyotes Ring of Honor, joining Bobby Hall and Thomas Dean. Nice. And his number 10 was also retired in 2007, and apparently... It says here, unlike Hall and Steen, who were honored in Jets colors, Howard number was retired in Coyotes apparel, despite the fact he never actually played for Phoenix at all during the time of his career. That's kind of interesting. Do you, did they say why they did that? or? I'm not seeing anything in here about it, but I'm just looking at his stats here. I mean, here's the thing. Here's from his rookie year up until, let's see. Probably, yeah, from like 81, 82 till 89, 90. Here's all of his point totals. Rookie of the year was 103. He went 91, 102, 130, 105, 100, 121, 96, and 81. That was just in the 80s. That's actually really impressive. It is very impressive. The, the sad thing about it is, much like Pierre Turgeon, that was, those numbers were the exception, not the rule. And I think that's kind of why that his career was vastly overlooked for the majority of his time in the NHL. That's true. So, yeah, we wanted to give a quick shout-out to Dale Howarchuk. And you know me. We've been doing the show for a couple of years now. And you know how much I hate talking about deaths on the show. Yeah. But I feel that it is very important to to recognize those people and the accomplishments they brought. Now, kind of on a personal note for me, Tim, I actually want to give another quick shout-out. And... This one goes out to TSN sports anchor Dan O'Toole. So I know you're not a listener of the Jay and Dan podcast. I've been a huge fan of Jay and Dan. I got to meet them last year when they came through Victoria on their podcast tour. And for listeners of the Jay and Dan podcast, you might have noticed the absence of Dan O'Toole on the TV series and also on the podcast. And so it was just Jay. It was just Jay. And Jay actually was... He's, he's very good. He's very good at just doing interviews by himself. And that's the one thing I really appreciate about Jay just doing the solo pods. But Toolsy is one of those guys that... You know, he does bring a lot to the podcast. And his absence was really felt on the show and the podcast. But one thing that came out about this was that a few weeks ago, Dan returned to the podcast. And he didn't really talk much about why he was away and he finally talked about what was really going on and apparently circumstances in his life including his youngest daughter he spiraled deep into a deep deep depression and he was talking about on the podcast that he was driving into work and he suffered an anxiety attack and, you know, if you were go back to our, I can't remember what episode, it was in February, I think we were talking about the Let's Bell, Let's Talk Day. Yes. And, you know, I was very candid about my own struggles with depression and dealing with anxiety and having a panic attack and all that stuff. 
And so for me, that stuff really hit home because I was like, you know, wow. Like somebody who, it's really weird in the public eye when you consume somebody's art or somebody's work, you don't think of the human element of that. You see them as the performer who you're paying money or you're subscribing to their podcast or you're consuming their work. You're not thinking of the human element for them. And so when this kind of stuff comes out, I often, I feel for it, especially when I've gone through it myself and, you know, I dealt with when my brother passed away. I've had friends of mine in the past who took their own life, of course, Quinn. And so for that kind of stuff, I mean, that really, really hits home. And, you know, and I'll be honest, I mean, during this whole COVID pandemic, the isolation really got to me at times. And I'll, I'll admit, like, my depression wasn't wasn't always absent in my life from, like, March until now. Like, it's just been there. But I think the nice thing for me is that, you know, I've been able to sort of channel my energy when I'm not... Because I wasn't at work for four months. I was able to challenge... Or, sorry, I'm kind of out of breath here. I was able to yeah, channel enough. that energy and those negative thoughts into something positive and you know and you look at all the content that we put out from march until now and a lot of the content we were putting out a lot of my energy my focus was going into those episodes yeah and it's it's one of those things where some someone's in the limelight and they're kind of doing a role where it's serious but also kind of funny yet you kind of look at it as like what's kind of going on when you pull back the cover a bit. And I imagine uh, it came to a shock to a lot of folks when uh, Robin, uh, why am I blanking on the name now? Robin Williams? <laughs> why am I blanking Robin on Williams. the genie's name? Yeah, it was Robin Williams. Robin Williams, that was a bad time to blank. Robin Williams claimed his own life a few years back as well. Yeah, and you know what? And even when, if you were to go back and listen to when I was talking about my stuff on the Bellas Talk Day, you know, and I made the mention, you know, it's always those kind of people. It's always the people that are constantly on, constantly cracking jokes, like seem constantly happy. They're the ones that end up taking their own life or they have problems mentally and they just don't talk about it. Yeah. So, you know, I just wanted to give those quick shout outs right out of the bat. And actually, have shout out coming, though. we do have a, a quick, another quick shout out to... I don't know if he's a listener or not, but I know he's a true bod. And I know he's actually contributed uh, a question to the podcast back when we did the guys from Maple Syrup Shots on. A gentleman by the name of Seth Armstrong. Now, for those who don't know, Seth was a radio personality in Saskatoon. Or it might have been Regina. I, I can't remember. I'm sorry, Seth. I can't remember which one it was. So, Seth, like us, were diehard Senators fans. And so, back in June... He was cleaning out some of his stuff in his apartment and he found some old Ottawa Senators McFarland figurines. Now, I hadn't seen the post and it was actually our bod, Neil, formerly Maple Surf Shots. He tagged me in that and I was like, oh man, that's so cool because, you know, and I saw there was a couple of Spezza ones in there. There was a Fisher one, a Heatley one, a couple of Alfies. And so I DM'd him on Twitter and I said, hey man, like, you know, I'll be really interested in that you know, I'll be glad to take it off your hands. And I guess he was kind of looking for somebody more local. And I said, well, listen, I don't live locally. I live at a province, but I'm willing to pay for the shipping if you're willing to ship it out here. So we got all those ducks in a row and I went to first aid a couple of weeks ago. I came home. I was probably home two days 
my stepdad came out out of the bedroom with his box and he goes, hey, by the way, this came for you when you were gone. And I took a one look at it and I was like, oh, I think I know what that is. So I cracked the box open and I think I've already posted the picture on Twitter. I'm sure I did. So currently I'm looking at the figurines right now. So from left to right, I've got a Ray Emery, a Mike Fisher, a Jason Spezza, he's not the captaincy one. He sent me an Eric Carlson one. I had the exact same one. The exact same Marion Hosa one with the red jersey. I have another one of those. I got uh, a Spezza white one jumping over the boards. I got a heater, an Alfie, a beautiful Ottawa Senators flag, which is hanging above my desk right now. But here's the best part, Tim. Uh-huh. I not only got all of those things, I got myself an Ottawa Senators poncho. A poncho? A poncho. And I was super confused when I saw it. I was like, what the heck is this thing? And I put it on and and I just started laughing. I'm just like, it's a poncho. It's a poncho. So I threw it on and I, I told you about it. And so I snapped a picture. I sent it to you and you're just like, that's amazing. <laughs> well, like I honestly didn't even know they made like team ponchos. I didn't know either. I, I really didn't know either. And this is kind of amazing. And I'm like, I never thought that I would ever think that I would need an Ottawa Senators poncho, but here we are. Actually, the one that I've always been kind of amazed that I know the last time I was at Victoria Poking Ground, I think it was the fan store, like just kind of the generic fan store in West Shore Mall, the stupid plastic mug with the gold light in the bottom. Oh, that's the, um, I know, cause I, uh, the fuck's that name of the store? Out of Bounds. Out of Bounds, yeah. Yeah, I've actually bought I bought a number of things from them in the past. And actually, sorry, a quick story about Out of Bounds. So this is a couple of years ago. I actually went to a Sheepdogs concert in Victoria when they came through. I think they were on the Future Nostalgia Tour. And so, you know, I was in Victoria that the previous night. The next day I had to go to work. And I was like, you know, maybe I have some time to kill. Maybe I'll have a look at Out of Bounds, see what they got for like Sens or Seahawks stuff. And so because the Sheepdogs are from Saskatchewan, I wore my... Darian Durant Rough Rider jersey to the show so the next day I I kept it on and I walked into Out of Bounds and this old lady probably 60 something years old came up to me thinking I was an employee (laughs) and she said she looks at me she says hi excuse me uh can you direct us to where the Montreal Canadian stuff is and I was like oh I'm sorry I don't work yes actually I can direct you to where the stuff is you know because we got a great selection right here and I and I showed the wall and the employee behind the counter is looking at me like what the hell are you doing, man? And I just look, I'm like, I shrugged. I was like, I, I don't know. They think I'm an employee. <laughs> so after, I think I, I can't remember what I bought. I think I bought a hat or something from them. And I went up to the counter and I said, hey man, by the way, if those, if that old lady buys something, do I get a cut of the profits? He just starts laughing. Yeah, exactly. He just starts laughing. He goes, no. Do you think that guy gets commission? Well, he doesn't work here anymore, so probably not. Probably not. Fair enough. Yeah. So, Tim, let's move our attention to some playoff hockey because, you know, last week on the show, and we were talking about the play-in round and the first round and all that good stuff, it's time to look at the first round recap. Now, as always, because we're a West Coast-based podcast, we are going to look at the Western Conference to start it off with. So we're going to start off with... Actually, before we start, yes. can we comment about how they announced all of the times 
for the second route to start that they potentially could have overlapped with the first mm. route. Yes, actually, okay, that's a good point. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I completely forgot about this. Because here's the thing. You and I were talking about this because the first round was still going, and they announced Dallas and Colorado for, was it Saturday? No, no, it was uh, the Bolts and Bruin. Was it? No, I thought it was Abs and Stars to start it off. Uh, yeah, it was Abs and Stars. Yeah, and I, and I, I messaged... weren't even done yet. I messaged you, and I was like, but, 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 but the, it, it's not even over yet. <laughs> they can't be doing this. And to think that you and I, we purposely made the decision to be like, okay, the, the playoffs are officially going to end on Sunday. Monday is going to be great because we're going to be look, talking about hockey. And they're already talking to start the second round. I was like, oh, you son of a bitch. Like, what the hell? Ugh. But it's just, it's so bizarre because I don't think I've ever seen the playoff rounds overlap like that before. No, this is like the odd smudge on the whole playoff thing because, you know, there's been, what, 4,000 tests for COVID. There hasn't been one person pausing te- positive, any of that stuff. So really, this is probably, what, the one maybe blemish, which is kind of a... I, I, I really argue whether I say it's a minor or a major thing, but I don't know. It just kind of seems like a little bit of over you know oversight on their part. Yeah, because, like, had Dallas not absolutely spanked Calgary? <sighs> My God, was that ever an ass-whooping. Yeah. Holy they crap, man. Problems. That was. And thankfully, we're going to be talking about that here in the third series. We've got to talk about the Western Conference. So, without further ado, Tim, let's talk about the opening Western Conference series, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, of course, the Vegas Golden Knights took this in five games. So, for this episode, Tim, I actually wanted to have my buddy Trey on. Trey's a diehard Blackhawks fan. He wanted to come on the show and just rant about the Blackhawks and whatever. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I talked to him a little bit today. He's, he's unable to come on the episode. But you know what? It's all right, though, because we've got our comments, and we're going to go through them. So, coming into this series, I think I, I think you and I were pretty confident about Vegas's chances in this series. And... Overall, it showed because Chicago got really outplayed throughout this series. Vegas's depth and their speed really came in. The one guy I do want to make a comment about him is Robin Leonard because overall, I don't know how you feel about his performance in the series. I didn't think he looked good or or really great. I should say in this series, especially in Game Five. Um, I felt he was good enough. Um, like, and that's the hard thing of things right is that especially if you're playing a team where you're not getting a lot of shots put on you it's easy enough to just kind of play it a bit slower and like at point 905 it's not great but he got less than 100 shots in five games his way yeah but it was weird it was just one of those things where i watched him and i'm just thinking he just seemed a little off to me. And that's actually a very good point that you brought up is that, you know, maybe he wasn't expecting high offensive production out of the Chicago Blackhawks. Maybe that's why he did seem a little bit off because he's thinking, okay, you know, I can not coast, but he can kind of put it in like second or third gear and just kind of keep it there. Hmm. Although like Marc-Andre Fleury in the one game he did get to see played very well. Yeah. Actually, uh, the one comment about Marc-Andre Fleury 
and I, I don't know if you have it in your notes. You saw that tweet his agent put out, right? Where they had the sword right through his back. Oh, that, that was weird. I didn't like that. No, I thought that was a little bit, it was, I agree with Robin Leonard though. I think that was very unprofessional of his agent to do that. But people on Twitter were kind of confused because it's like, okay, you do realize that Marc-Andre Fleury just signed a five-year extension. Leonard's a UFA in the offseason. 100% chance he's not coming back to the Golden Knights. So this is kind of just a weird thing because you do realize that Fleury is still going to be their starter next season after Leonard leaves. Yeah, like it's definitely a bizarre thing to see. It was very bizarre to see. So, sticking with the Golden Knights, I have to say there was a number of players I thought that looked fantastic for them. Riley Smith in Games 1 and 2, especially in Game 2 with the OT winner. Shea Theodore had a number of shots in this series. Marsha Salt looked good. I don't know, like, how overall, how did you feel that Vegas played in that series, Tim? Uh, honestly, it would have looked a lot worse if Corey Crawford wasn't on. Like, Corey Crawford played a very good series. Yeah, and that was the thing about Corey Crawford is that overall, didn't think he had the worst series. I mean, his numbers really wouldn't have backed that up. But, I mean, in fairness, his defense really didn't help him out much. Well, think about it. He has, like, absolutely really nothing on defense, and he's still posting a .920. I know. Can we talk quickly, though, Tim? Game four... 48 saves and a .980 save percentage. Wow. Like, that guy was com- really lights out in that game. He To me, he was absolutely the reason they won that game. Yeah, it's the reason that I was wrong about the sweep. Bastard. <laughs> yeah, it's all right, Tim. You know, nobody bats a thousand. Yeah, that's true. Although, it's like, that game, it was Chicago just did not show up. Vegas was Impressive. Like, I think the only line that really did much was the Taves line in terms of actually moving a puck around. Yeah, that's true, because outside of the Taves line, I mean, really, who do they even have on that team, to be honest Patrick with you? Patrick Kane. Yeah, but isn't Kane on Taves' line, though? They switch between Ta- Kane and Sad. I mean, I guess Sod would be sad if you call him sad, but, you know. Yeah, and then... The- it's kind of weird, just their center, like their center depth, it's all over the place. Like you go, Taves, Kirby, Doc, Dylan, Strom. Yeah, one of those things is not like the not others. Like the other. <laughs> so Tim, do you want to turn your attention to the next series we're going to talk about? Yeah, let's go. Okay, let's talk about the Colorado Avalanche and the Arizona Coyotes. Colorado ended up taking this series in five. And honestly, there was no surprise here. Because I no. knew Colorado was going to overpower Arizona in this series. I didn't see them completely destroying them in games four and five. I just got to make a quick comment about the Arizona Coyotes offense. Where were they? You had uh, two games. You had 15 or less shots. The coach told them to park the bus. And it turns out that doesn't work in hockey. God. Like, oh like here's the thing is like that that is a team that is capable of offense it was just they were coached not to oh like god it was terrible to watch man yeah i i didn't watch a lot of those games i honestly i think i watched 
like one game in that, and that was game three. And you know, the one guy I really do feel sorry for in that was Darcy Kemper, because you know what? He had a decent first game before the Colorado's offense, potted three goals in the third, 100% was lights out in game three. I still have no idea how Arizona won that. If it wasn't for Darcy Kemper, there's no way that they they would have easily gotten swept by Colorado. Oh, yeah, because, like, yeah, Arizona just, they come out maybe at the first 10 minutes, and then they just kind of park the bus, wait for a counterattack, and just get crushed. And, like, the Colorado, the Colorado offense is just too high-flying to let them basically have the entire zone to themselves, right? 100%, man, 100%. And, you know, yeah. we're talking about the Avalanche. I mean, their top line of Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen, fantastic as always. But I think when talking about the Avalanche, there is one specific player we need to highlight for this series. And this is what Leaf fans are hating themselves for right now, is Nazem Kadri. Seven points, including five goals, in this series alone. And he and hasn't he been also suspended. Didn't get himself suspended for once. Yeah, and you know what's? How do you think Leaf fans feel right now? This guy doesn't get, hasn't gotten suspended. He absolutely. I, I don't want to say he completely carried Arizona, Arizona, Colorado in this series, but he's also the early candidate for the Conn Smythe Trophy right now. And especially when Tyson Berry came in and did nothing, that's got to sting. Oh my God! I know. You know, and obviously, like, I could bring up the the off, the off beaten-to-death meme of, you know, stop, stop, they're already dead. But I'm not going to use that for this series. Because, honestly, there's no point. Well, that's the thing. It's like, this, is, like, this Arizona team, it's bizarre because you just had, like, the GM walked out. Kind of out of nowhere. I'm surprised Rick Tockett's still around, to be honest. Yeah, but I don't I don't exactly put any much blame on him because again, he can't really be responsible for the injuries that they had the last couple of seasons, but I you, I, I wonder. I blame him for the tactics that he deployed. And that's the thing, Tim, is that, you know, when you look at this series going forward, is the Coyotes fans now going to look at this series and be like, "Okay, if we don't get much success, is talking the reason why?" And honestly, I think so one final quote or one final comment we got to make about this, and you know, for the, our show, we usually have a segment called discussion point. Now, unfortunately, because we're in playoffs, we can't really use that. And I feel that when we bring a topic like this up, we can kind of use discussion point rules for this. Taylor Hall, does he or does he not walk when free agency comes? I guess the question is, is like this last season and the season before were so, like the results weren't great. I could see free agent being disappointing, free agency being disappointing for him. And that's the thing, because I know I was looking on uh, Coyote's Twitter, you know, a lot pretty passive to be perfectly honest with you. I was from what I'm usually so used to reading on Sun's Twitter. But yeah, the one thing I noticed about Coyote's Twitter is that across the board, it just it seems like Taylor Hall's gone. Like, he's not staying in Arizona. Like, they're pretty much already resigned to it, to yep. be honest. Yeah, and it's a shame because if you look at the roster that they built, 
that's a very exciting young core they've got. And it was so nice to see them actually make the playoffs for now. But, you know, I don't know. Because they've got a number of young guys that they got to re-sign. Is really signing Taylor Hall long-term going to be the right choice? Because you're going to have to pay all of your big guys, or a lot of the big young guys they've got on their team right now. And I'm sure that, you know, either... I, I don't know if Camper or Ratna need an extension. I'm not 100%, you know, equipped to talk about the Coyotes and their situation right now. But I don't know, moving forward, I don't know if Taylor Hall would be the right choice signing him long-term, especially as you're saying, the last couple of seasons, he really hasn't had the production Taylor Hall is used to. Honestly, like, I think for uh, the Coyotes might be good for them just to have some star power in the desert there other than that yeah hard to say like, yeah i just don't like i think the thing is is they do have a lot of young talent there and i think some of it is going to grow it's going to grow into it although like the hard thing is it's just phil castle's not doing much uh, i'm really excited for like clayton keller yeah and some of the guys that they've drafted over the last few years as well Oh, for sure. And yeah, Clayton Keller has been a kid that in this series, I was very, very happy to see him actually get some production going because, you know, I think he's going to be one of those players that he, I don't think he's going to be a superstar per se, but I think he's going to be a star player in a market where they desperately need one. But I think for the greater casual fan of hockey, I think he's very much going to go under the radar. Kind of how like guys like Shane Doan and Oliver Ekman Larson went under the radar during the time of the Coyotes. Yeah, honestly, fair. So Tim, let's move our attention to the Dallas Stars versus the Calgary Flames. Now, the Dallas Stars won this series <laughs> in six games. Okay. Let's not even talk about the other five games. Let's talk. Games. Let's talk. So, Game six, seven unanswered goals by Dallas. My head hurts trying to comprehend that. Isn't Calgary supposed to be a good team right now? Well, here's the thing. The Calgary skaters, other than like a few lapses, I don't think they played that bad. What ended up happening is, like, Talbot let in three bad goals, and then I don't blame Riddick for this. He got thrown to the Wolves, and he couldn't stop the bleeding, and then Talbot gave up another. And here's the other thing. Like, Kubotin lets in three quick goals, and he still has a .93 save percentage. So it's like Kubotin closed the door when he needed to, but Greer Adolf had a Pajot game. But at the same time, I think we have to talk about Milan Lucic because those penalties absolutely stupid. When you're up 3 nothing, there's no need to take a holding call. None. And that gave Dallas the opportunity to get back into the game. Honestly, and I think with Milan Lucic, wasn't that always kind of one of the knocks on him in Edmonton, too? Was that he used to take stupid penalties all the time? Yeah, like stupid, slow. Like, that's the thing, is it's just... 
pet and taking penalties like that. I feel bad for like Gaudreau and Monaghan, but uh, they probably need to skate a little harder. And it's interesting because like the Lindholm line actually played more than the Monaghan line. Andrew Mangipani manages to get you know he gets the only even strength goal out of the forwards in that game for Calgary. It's not Gaudreau. It's not Monaghan. Monaghan doesn't make the score sheet in this game. No. One comment I do want to make. Now, I only got a chance to watch the condensed version of these games. What exactly happened to Matthew to Chuck? Because I saw in game six he was in the press box. Fell awkwardly. Okay, he fell awkwardly. Okay, because I was watching that thinking, what the heck? Like, what's he doing in the press box? But I have to say... I think his reaction, that's now going to become a hockey meme. In the same oh, yeah. way that the Brady Chuck oof face has become a meme for the Senators. Yeah, and well, what's rough about this series for Calgary is they dropped the last three games in a row. You thought they'd have some spark, and they did have spark coming in this game. But uh, they just, for whatever reason, it just kind of, like that first goal by Talbot kind of took him out of the game. And they just couldn't get the equalizer, even though they came close on a number of attempts. And then, I don't know, I'm just not sure if uh, Monaghan and Goudreau are a top line. And uh, the player deployment kind of shows that. Like, I don't watch the Calgary Flames day in, day out. But uh, it's funny, I was at Safeway earlier today, and uh, the headline on the Calgary Sun is, What Now? Yeah, and funny enough, that's one of the comments I got to make because honestly, with the Flames, once again, not even making it out of the first round, I mean, they've got a number of serious questions. Like, is it time to start moving some pieces out? Is it time to make a maybe a big splash in free agency? You know, Cam Talbot obviously has played his last game in Calgary. Like, what happens with the starting position? Do they go after Braden Holpe or Robin Leonard? But I know the big question, and I want to get your takes on this, there's been a lot of talk, especially from on Twitter, is Johnny Goudreau. Because there's been talks that he might be on his way out the door after this one. Uh, I don't think he did enough in the series. Which and that's going to be tough for uh, Goudreau. Uh, excuse me. The, uh, excuse me. Someone's talking about me, but... Uh, the big thing about Goudreau in this series, sorry, Goudreau and Monaghan, is they aren't a top line. Top six guys for sure? They're top six for sure, but I don't think they're good enough to be a top line, and I think you probably see what you can get for one of them. Yeah, and honestly, moving forward, like I don't really know what the Flames would do. Goudreau, there's a really debate who would have the higher market value between Monaghan and Goudreau. And I didn't realize, I was looking up Johnny Goudreau the other day, I didn't even realize he had almost a 100-point season in 18-19. He had 99 points. I didn't even know that. Yeah, and that's the weird thing, that just with the way he's been deployed this playoff series as almost as, like Goudreau and Monaghan have been deployed as a second-line pairing. So it's it might be one of those things where maybe you can keep Goudreau or Monaghan one of the two around insulate them like Andrew Maggiapani and uh, Matthew Kachuk coming up do give them a bit of freedom there and Tobias Ryder is done well enough for them for a pretty cheap pickup 
And yeah, so you maybe do have the freedom to trade one of the two. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is that I'm just having a look here, Johnny Goodrill. Like his cap hit is 6.75 per year. And how many more years he's got? He's got two more left. And honestly, if they were to make a deal, I could see it now because after next season, his modified no trade clause comes into effect. So I could kind of see maybe Johnny Goudreau. I don't know about Monaghan's one that I'm not, like I said, I'm not sure what exactly they would do. He seems to be a very solid player, solid two-way player. Again, I, I don't know. They seem to have contracts that are cheap enough that they, somebody could take it, but it's more a fact of what is Calgary willing to accept in a trade for one of them? Yeah, like at, at 25, Sean Monaghan is what he is. And he's had multiple, he has two 30-goal seasons. And he probably would have been on place to be close for a 30-goal season again. So, like, I I don't think Sean Monaghan is a top-line center at this point in his career. Although he did have an 82-point season in 2018-2019. But, like, everything else has been kind of around 60-50 points. So I think he would be a very good second-line center. Yep, and, well, I was going to say, I mean, do you really want to pay a guy almost 6.4 for second-line production? But... Get to the point where that is... In fairness... The market for that. And that's the thing, and in fairness, and I was thinking about because we've got Colin White, and I think he's, what, 5... 4.5? 5, I think? 4.55, yeah. About that? Yeah, because he's not our top center, for sure, and I think that's where fans are looking at, you know... Quentin Byfield or, or Tim Stutzel or maybe some or even a Drake Batherson right so on the Sen side the Flames side honestly I think of the two Goudreau is going to be the one who gets moved because and I'm looking at Monaghan's cap friendly right here uh, coming into next season his modified no trade clause is coming to effect he does have a pretty some pretty reasonable cap hit at 6.375 so there probably is a team out there to take that contract and he's on the books for three more years. So it could be a good one. I just don't know if he'd be willing to leave Calgary. I guess like the thing with Goudreau is it's just like, I think they're both good players, but this is two years in a row now. They've just kind of disappeared in the playoffs. Cause like, I think Calgary's best player, like Sam Bennett was their top scorer. Although Johnny Goudreau was close. So it's like, it's tough, right? Well, the one that I don't get is, like, they rode uh, Andrew Maggiapani quite quite hard, and I don't think they really got that much production out of him. So, Tim, before we go on and talk about the next, the fourth and final series of the West, uh, I, I do got to make some mention about the Dallas Stars, because there were a number of players that came up big for them in that series. Obviously, the Ben Sagan rattle-off line came up great. Uh, Mira Heiskanen came in. Uh, Dennis oh. Gerlinanoff. I mean, he had four go- the four goal in uh, game six. But no, the, I, I think the Stars had a, a number of players that did play really Actually, well. Joe so. Pavelski played really well. Like, he's in his office doing his things, and the team is better off having him than they were without him. And, you know, I think, like, the San Jose Sharks this season really missed Joe. They did. I mean, it worked out okay. You know, they end up getting the third. Oh, wait a minute. 
<laughs> Shots fired. Yeah, but like Joe Pavelski, uh, he did work. Like, don't undersell that. No, and, and you know what? I think that was a very savvy veteran pickup move for the Dallas Stars. And, you know, and, and again, we'll talk about it in our second round predictions when we talk about the Colorado Dallas series. So let's turn our attention to the fourth and final series of the Western Conference the St. Louis Blues and the Vancouver Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks won this in six. Let's be honest. Remember what I how said many people, the preview episode? How many people saw Vancouver taking out St. Louis? Very few. But I think I, I do remember saying, if you leave it to Jake Allen, the Blues aren't going to win. I'm going to say right now, Tim, you owe him at least half an apology. Because he played I mean, great in games three and four. He played very well in game three and four, but uh, he couldn't carry the team. Although, to be fair, like Jordan Bennington's .800, you're not getting, you're not running anything with that. No, because, I mean, what did he have? Like a 750 at one time in game one? Yeah. Like, what he got, and he got pulled at game two, if I remember correctly. Like, yeah. that was... St. Louis is a very good team. But you're not winning with that sort of goaltending. No, and I have that in my notes, too. I said, you know, Bennington couldn't have played any worse. Jake Allen did play great in games three and four, only for the Canucks to beat him in game five. So let's actually talk about the Canucks a little bit, because this series definitely was a team victory for them. Because the big guns for their team came to play in this series. Their bottom six guys actually played a big role in the final two games. And we also can't forget that Jacob Markstrom also looked fantastic in this series. The Canucks have found a stud in Markstrom, eh? Yeah, and that's crazy because I, I want to say I think we've mentioned this in the I've mentioned this on the podcast. You know, I remember seeing him in Florida, thinking, eh, he's okay. Like you know, like eh, all right, whatever. He might get a couple starts here and there. I did not see this kind of production out of Jacob Markstrom, and I, maybe it was just because of the team he played with in Florida. But he comes up to Vancouver, and all of a sudden. You know, Canuck fans were saying, yeah, that Thatcher Demko's our future starter and all this good stuff. And Jacob Markstrom just strolls in and be like, uh, that's my job now, thank you. Yeah, please give me the starter hat. I will wear it. But no, uh, Jacob Markstrom, I'm always impressed with just how poised he looks in the net. The other thing is, like, I was actually really surprised at how well the Canucks were able to kind of just manage the puck around St. Louis. Because that's one thing that the St. Louis Blues were very good about during the cup-winning season last year, where they they played that kind of heavy brand of St. Louis hockey, but they are also very good at making sure the puck stayed on their stick. And they just weren't very good at that this year. Mm-hmm. Well, and also uh, with their cup run last year, I think for St. Louis, while having guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shen really helped them, having a healthy Vladimir Tarasenko really helped. And I think that for St. Louis, they really showed that that's the one piece they missed in this series. Because honestly, I think if Tarasenko was healthy, this could have been an even more evenly played series overall. Yeah, and like the fact that Jacob Della Rose got turns in the St. Louis lineup, it really shows you just kind of they don't have that prospect depth to fill in the holes mm-hmm. 
Because if I remember correctly, Della Rose was a deadline pickup too. I think so. Yeah, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. He might have been. We might. Have, I'll have to go back and check on that. Because Della Rose was on Detroit at the start of the season. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. But it's it's interesting because like with uh, St. Louis, like the top line came to play, and I think they look they for the most part they look pretty good doing it. Ryan O'Reilly had eight points in five games. And you David know, had seven. And you know the funny thing, Tim, about Ryan O'Reilly is that I don't know about you, but I'm always kind of a surp- little bit surprised that Ryan O'Reilly has that kind of offensive production in him because I think of him as weird to say. I think of him more of a defensive forward more than anything. I don't really think of him as an offensive player. So as you're saying, like he was one of their top point producers, and I'm thinking, really, Ryan O'Reilly, him? Well, I think it's. For whatever goddamn reason, when he was in Buffalo, he kind of got pushed into, like, a defensive-minded role. And I don't really know what why the hell that happened. While in St. Louis, all of a sudden, you're surrounding with these very upbeat players, like you've got David Prawn, Alex Pagarangelo, Jane Schwartz, Brayden Shedd. Like, just very, very upbeat offense. So it's like, yeah... I, I don't really know where he got that reputation from because, like, Brian O'Reilly's always been a very good point producer. Credit to the Canucks. They stuck with it. They played St. Louis quite well. Although, uh, they did get quite, they did get quite a bit of help from Jordan Bennington. They did. And you know what? Honestly, I think if their goaltending actually was better, hey, there's no, there's no telling what St. Louis could have done in that series. Well, like, the thing is, Schwartz, Riley, O'Reilly, and Perron line ate the Pedersen line alive. Even in the games where Vancouver won. It's just the rest of the team was able to kind of pick it up, pick up the rest of it. Sort of thing. Yeah. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on any of the Western Conference series before we head off to the Eastern Conference? Not in particular, other than just, like, man, that Calgary-Dallas game was rough to watch. Like, I, I, I was actually legitimately excited. Like, the first five minutes of that game was just Calgary just quickly opens the scoring. It's like, oh, this is going to be good. And all of a sudden, like, Dallas like Dallas gets it back. I'm like, well, this is going to be good. And that just keeps going. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. I think the only comment I'm going to make uh, is about the St. Louis Blues because they're commentary team has former NHL goalie Darren Pang in there. And because it's so weird, like Darren Pang has a really, a very kind of really unique voice to him. Kind of like a high pitch, very excitable kind of think of like, if you were to mix Pierre Maguire with Doc Emmerich and it's, I don't know, maybe because I don't watch the St. Louis blues. I'm always kind of surprised about his voice. I'm thinking like, God, like, I, I don't know if I could listen to him do, like, a whole hockey game. I've heard him on the JNet podcast, and he's hilarious. But still, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's just me. Maybe give him a chance. But uh, actually, something funny again about uh, two things, two notes about St. Louis, actually. First, uh, there's been a lot of buzz in Leaf media about them maybe going after Peter but- Angelo in the offseason. There was interest back in 2018 as well, but the Leafs even fit him. Even with trades? You know what? I, 
And I was talking with my cousin about this too, because I was telling him, I was like, you know what? Yeah, you can go after him, but again, with the salary cap staying flat, are the, could the Leafs even afford him? Even if they make a move and say, get a William Nylander out of town? And the question is, is like, Alex Petrangelo is still very good. This will be his age 30 season. So you do have to watch at does age-related decline start to set in, especially if you do sign him into a big contract. He is only making 6.5 this year. So, like, the Blues got him on a steal of a contract. They did, but you also got to realize that Justin Falk also makes that much on the San Luis Blues as well. Yeah. So it might be hard for them to keep Petrangelo as well. It is. It is for sure, but I'm just thinking, you know... Because Petrangelo, I mean, he's going to be getting well over $8 million per year. I don't know the Leafs can go after him, but I don't know if they're going to have the cap space to make that work. Well, I guess the other thing is... is unless, and here's the thing, unless they uh, backload the contract. But again, like as you're saying, he's ending his, his 30s. At that point, it's kind of a high risk, high reward at that time. Because you run the risk of him going into a decline. Exactly. Well, like, it's interesting because, like, I think Jacob De La Rose is off the payroll. I think Jay Bowmeister's done as well. So that's, that's a decent chunk of money off. You've got $8 million between Bennington and Jake Allen. But they're both signed through 2021. It's like, that's the hard thing. It's like, Petrangelo is their most expensive D-man. And, like, I'm not sure if he'll take a hometown discount. That is true. And also for the Leafs, you got to realize, because Morgan Riley is going to be wanting a contract extension here, I think, next year? 2021, I think he's uh, due for a pay raise? Let me check that, but... Okay. Yeah, because I'm just thinking about that, because if if Morgan Riley is looking for an extension, and he's going to be getting big bucks from the Leafs, I don't know if, in that regard, if going after... Petrolangelo is even that smart of an idea at that point. Yeah, well, I know, like, Cody Cece's gone. Like, Cody Cece's gone. Tyson Berry's gone. So, like, that's $6 million there. But you still have to sign, like, if they want to keep Ilya Mikolaev, Pierre Engvall's getting a pay raise. I think there's some other pay raises coming coming through that eat a lot of that space. Like, yeah, Justin Hall's getting a, a pay raise. Jake Muzzin's getting a pay raise. Jack Campbell's getting a pay raise, so... Yeah, so the Leafs have to be somewhat smart about this, whether going after him is really the right decision for them. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Actually, you know, and I was just... Sorry, Tim, I was just thinking about this right now. I think, honestly, the one final comment we honestly should make about the Western Conference is a defenseman for the St. Louis Blues. Oh, yeah. Uh, it turns out that uh, Chelsea went to middle school with one of them. Yeah, it was Colton... Uh, Pierico. Pierico, yeah. Yeah. It was funny because... Yet uh, how I found that... We were trying to find something in a storage locker that her parents had. We found an old DVD that was like a, like a middle school yearbook DVD thing. And I flipped over the back and I saw Colton Pierico and 
Yeah. And then, like, she mentions, like, oh, I knew a guy who used to play ho- hockey. Sorry, we were watching uh, the Blues play. Sorry, no, I was like, oh, that's weird. That name seems familiar, but thought nothing ever. Then we were watching the Blues play, and uh, she was like, that name sounds familiar. And then we looked up, and sure enough, the guy's from St. Albert. Well, how about that, Tim? Yeah. Okay, so let's turn our attention to the Eastern Conference. Now we're going to start off with the Philadelphia Flyers versus the Montreal Canadiens. Philadelphia ended up taking this series in six games. So I think we should talk about the big storyline coming out of this series. Kota Kekanemi's hit from behind in game five. He got five in a game, but not a suspension. Now, I, I don't know how you felt about that. I know a lot of people were upset about that he didn't get a suspension. For me... The real reason he didn't get a suspension is because Travis Sanheim was not injured on the play. But I Which think is why Nis- that's why I was kind of unhappy Niskanen got a suspension, even though there was an injury on the play. Because I don't think that hit was worse than the Koteca mini hit. No, and that wasn't. And honestly, it would have been suspen- suspensionable if, say, Kokonami had charged at him full speed and hit him. And he injured him. But I, that's a that's very much a call that... I really don't know if across the board that's a call that everybody's going to be happy with. Because if you think about it, Tim, if, say, he only got two minutes, well, people are going to be bitching about, well, that's way too lenient on him. He hit from behind. You know, you suspend him. He's thinking, well, that's pretty harsh. Like, he's not injured on the play, whatever. And I, I don't know. I mean, you could have given him a four-minute, a double minor, which honestly would have made a lot more sense. But I don't know. I Again, I really hate those hits from behind. And I can understand why he got five in a game and not a suspension. But I understand that a lot of people is very, very upset about this. Well, here's the thing. I actually really hate when the difference between a suspension and not a suspension is whether an injury occurred. Because you shouldn't be policing the outcome, you should be policing the action. And, like, those hits from behind, 100%, you have to get those out of the game because they're so goddamn dangerous. Yeah, so and, and funny enough... You taking suspensions to those. It's true, and the funny thing about it, Tim, and I understand that a lot of people have had their criticisms of Don Cherry over the past couple of years... But the one thing, if you go back and watch those old coaches' corners, or you go back and watch his old Rock'em Sock'em videos, what is one of the few things he always said? He says, never ever hit somebody from behind. That is very unsportsmanlike. In his words, it's not the Canadian way to do it. And I totally agree. And I think that's why, for me, I've always hated those hits. Because you're right, if you can't see him coming, that's super dangerous. And that's when seriously people get hurt because if you can't see it, you can't brace yourself for it. Exactly. Getting to the actual games, uh, this was a weird series. It was a weird series, but overall I thought this was kind of a goalie battle series because you have Carey Price, you know, the old Wiley veteran. It, it, actually, it's hard to believe that Carey Price is a in his mid-30s now. You know who else is in his mid-30s? Brian Pre- Elliott. That's true. Actually, Brian Elliott was taking two drafts before Carey Price. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, the funny thing about, you know, and this was a great, you could very much argue this was kind of a passing of the torch in a way, because you have Carey Price, who's the 
the veteran goaltender. He's been around. He's won Vezinas. He's won a Hart Trophy. Versus the young kid in Carter Hart, who everybody's been pumping up as the future of the NHL goalie-wise. And overall, I actually thought, I don't know how you feel, I feel that both goalies overall played very well in this series. Well, the stat line bears it out. Uh, Both of them had above .92 save percentages. uh, And, like, their carry price definitely stole some games. And I think Carter Hart stole a game in there, too. He did. He did, for sure. And the one thing I actually got a comment about Montreal is Montreal actually played better than I actually thought they were going to. Because the one comment I made last week was that Montreal, if they have any shot in winning this series, they have to give Carey Price support up front, which they did. And at oh. one point, I can't remember which game it was, they were up in shots. They were leading 11 to nothing by, the I think, the end of the first. Yeah, the 5 nothing game. Yeah. Well, like, that's the thing, too, is, like, I was surprised with kind of the emergence of Kotek Nemeni and uh, Nick Suzuki, but Jonathan Drouin kindly... Like, sure, he didn't get a goal in the series, but the man had six assists. He did, and he was always a lightning... He's always been a lightning rod for controversy... Not controversy. A lightning rod of criticism in Montreal. Not just because he's French-Canadian, but because when he came over... he It was very much a tightrope back with him, because it was... He, he does have the skill. He does have the skill, and I at times he has the the stat to back it up, but I just feel that Montreal fans, it was, it was never going to be good enough because you have a French, because really when has the Montreal Canadians had a French Canadian sniper that's actually been very good for them? Uh, I would have to say probably the eighties. I was actually going to say, I don't know if anyone would say Mike Ribeiro because I don't know if he really counts. I would say Vincent Danfus. Vincent Domfus, yeah, that's a... That's a name that doesn't get trotted out very often. It doesn't, yeah. And and see, folks, this is why you listen to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Because you never know when Vincent Domfus might get a name drop on the show. Yeah, no kidding. Because, yeah, I think, like, the last one that really comes to mind, surprisingly, is Rocket Richard. The Rocket, for sure. I was going to say Guy Carboneau. Not Guy Carboneau. Carboneau. Well, Carboneau was okay. Uh, we don't talk about him on this show. That's true. Or Kevin Lowe. Uh, no. Um, Guy Lafleur. Lafleur was a perfect yeah. guy. He was from the 70s. I was actually very surprised by Montreal's forwards coming out to play. What's kind of weird is, uh, at least on the scoreline, no one for Philadelphia really came out except Jacob Voracek. That is true. That is true. And, you know, when talking about Game 5, when... Koken, when uh, Kota Kekanemi took that five in a game, I immediately messaged you and I says, well, that sunk Montreal right there. And as soon as I said that, Vorchak scored. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. is like, I, I know I'm giving spoilers for uh, the current series, but uh, Philly just lost 4 not. Well, sorry, there's two minutes left in the game and the Islanders are up 4 nothing. Like, the shots are pretty even, but it's just Carter Hart, yeah, he dropped, he dropped arguably the game that Montreal won 5 nothing. Actually, let's go talk about, like, we'll talk about a bit more when we get to the Islanders, but that, the Islanders are definitely a team you can't do that against. 
No, no, for sure you can't do that. So actually, one one comment I do want to make about the Montreal Canadiens, and really I don't have any more comments to make about the series, but I do want to bring up the story. So I actually found this on Twitter. Somebody, I, I think it was a, a Habs reporter or something, he posted on Twitter apparently when, when Montreal plays, whether they're at home or on the road, they always have to pack their gear after a game because it's either going back to the practice rink or they're going back on on the road. So, as always, I mean, their gear always has to get packed and the morning of the game, the gear has to get packed. It has to be put on a truck and driven to the Bell Center. So, Shea Weber, the current captain of Montreal Canadiens, when he arrived in Montreal the players usually would just throw their gear in the bag and then the equipment guys would pick it up and take it away. Shea Weber instantly grabbed his own bag and carried it out himself. And somebody actually told him, he says, no, 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 you don't have to do that. And Shea's like, no, it's okay. Like, I'll do it. The the equipment guys, they got enough to worry about with us. And he just felt, he says, you know what? Hey, like, I'll just do it myself. And his comment was like, is it a big deal? No. Is that a big thing? No. But you know what? If you're one of the equipment guys and you get back to the practice rink at 1.30 in the morning and you have to unpack everything and that you have, and have to make it drink, it sucks. And you're there until whatever time at night. So basically, anything that Shea Weber does, he does it right. Yeah. And as the reporter says, like when Nick Suzuki or Koka Kekanemi or all these guys are end of their career and they're going to ask who made a difference in their career, he says he's going to gonna guarantee it's Shea Weber mm-hmm. so I just yeah, wanted to share that real quick cool. yeah and I think that was such a great thing and you know I quote tweeted that and I said you know good BC boy right there <laughs> and uh Biz Nasty actually liked it so there you go nice yeah so Tim do you yeah. have any more comments you want to make on this series before we head off into the Tampa Columbus series no let's go right to the how many records can we set in one game series? All right, here we go. Tampa Bay Lightning versus the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Lightning ended up winning this in five games. And we mentioned in last week's episode about the game one, mar- excuse me, game one marathon, five overtimes. I think they, I think all those guys aged at least three years from that game. You know, oh, just shit. Jesus Christ. But the one thing about this series coming into it, like Tampa was looking for revenge and they got it. Columbus, I, I actually think Columbus could have beaten them. And I agree with Brandon Mackey. He said on the podcast, on his podcast, that you could really tell Columbus really misses that high-end talent they had last year with the Panarins, the Dezingles. Not Dezingles. Yeah, Dezingles, Duchesne's, guys like that. That's what they kind of missed in this series. And John Tortorella actually made a very interesting point. Coming into the series, he says, you know what? These guys are playing in the red. He says, you know, because they played hard versus Toronto and they're heading into a series. If this is Tampa Bay, who's one of the best teams in the league and they're eventually going to run out of gas. Yeah. And he was honest. He's not going to bullshit you. He just said, yeah, like these guys are running super hard and they're eventually, they're going to run out of gas. Well, here's the thing though. I would say all of these games, except for one, were a lot closer than they looked. Like, the only game that, like, I think that Tampa Bay definitely came away, like, just hands down was the better team, was game three. I feel every other game, either Columbus, like, game two, Columbus won, 
Columbus hung tight and even for large stretches were the better team right until the end. So, like, I could see this game going, this series could have gone to seven if the bounces were a bit different. That's very true. That is very true. And so for Columbus, I do have a couple of players I want to talk about. One guy that you were pumping last week on the episode, Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of this series. I watched a bit of the recap. I actually thought he played pretty decently for Columbus. Oh, he looked good. I'm always amazed just kind of... He's very smooth on the puck. He led the Jackets with six points, five assists, and a goal. And was one of the more effective players in the series. Another guy... Go ahead. the The only players that had visited the score sheet more than him were Kucherov and Point. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I mean, the only other guy for Columbus I really got to mention, Jonas Corposalo. I do think he carried Columbus a bit, in the, definitely in this series. And it's a shame that you know he carried them in this series only to post a .800 save percentage in that fifth game. And honestly, I don't even blame him at all on that. No, and like the nice thing about that fifth game, though, is like he didn't, like sure, he didn't have his best game of the series. Columbus still backed him up. Like, that game got to overtime, mind you. Like, he got the run support when he needed it. Yeah, Columbus is going to be a very interesting team heading into the offseason because, it, you know, you look at their young core that they've got, and it's not one of the... It's not like when they had Rick Nash where they just threw everything at the wall and saw what stuck. As soon as John Davidson came in, they brought a management group in that really knew how to build a team, and they organically built one. After Rick Nash did. That's when you saw the Pierre-Luc Foucault's. You saw, you know, the Brandon Atkinson's. You saw these kind of guys, and they're all developing into great players. So, honestly, and I want to get your take on this. Like, what does Columbus need to do in the offseason? Like, do you see them maybe possibly going after a Taylor Hall? Maybe they make a a big offensive splash because... They have $5 million worth of cap space. And Pierre-Luc Dubois is coming off his entry-level contract. So you're thinking that that's where the money is going to be going, is to Pierre-Luc That's probably where the money's going. Um, That's fair. Like, Devin Shore is an arbitration. His RFA ends this year, but it's arbitration. Uh, Jack Abilia, Ryan McInnes, that's not big money. Like, on the defense, uh, they have to be careful because, like, uh, They've got Seth Jones and Zach Waranski locked up at three more years at $5 million. So they've got their main guys locked up. Uh, they have to watch out because, like, Dennis, David Savard, I'm not sure if he'll probably get a pay jump after his contract expires at 31. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, that's the thing is I think they've got most of their important players locked up. Oh, and Elvis Merzlikens is getting a big, he's going to $4 million next year. Yeah, and that's going to be a something for Columbus next season, like what, as you're saying, with Elvis now looking for a new contract, because they're going to have him and Corpusalo, and I don't know how many millions of dollars they're going to be tied up between those two guys, but you might be looking at, okay, if Columbus is forced to pick one or the other, do you possibly see that as being a possibility in the future for Columbus? It might be, especially depending on what Corpusalo. Well, they have Corpus Allo at two more years at $2.8 million. Yeah, Elvis Merzlikens they have for two years at $4 million. So that's still a pretty cheap goaltending tandem. 
yeah like some teams with legit start like they pay their legit starters like eight million dollars yeah or you'd be like, like florida who gave bob 10 million yeah so like it's a like that's the thing is like the jackets they don't have any big contracts and i don't think the only contract that might not be good is nick felino at 5.5 yeah, but how many... Well, that's only one more year. Yeah, I was going to say, but how many more years is he on that contract for? Because I, I would imagine... Goes, how old is Nick Foligno? He's 30... 32? Okay, so I'm thinking, do the math in my head. Because I don't know, he seems to really love Columbus, and I, I don't know what the market would bear for Nick Foligno if he, say, he would go to free agency, and I think maybe if Columbus offered him a contract, I don't don't see why they wouldn't. But do you think maybe he'll take, you know, a hometown discount in that way? You know, I think he probably would. Yeah. Yeah, like their top played player right, top paid player right now is Cam Atkinson, and he's probably locked in for the rest of his career at five point eight. Yeah. Well, no, and that's the crazy thing about Columbus, and you know they have a lot of the great players, but. As I was saying, the one thing about this series is that you definitely tell they don't have that high-end offensive talent. So, say they only have five million bucks to play with, and obviously Dubois, but do they move some pieces and maybe go for a big piece to help them out offensively? I guess the question is, who do you move? Yeah, and that... Probably one of Ryan Murray or, or David Savard. Yeah, and, and I'm not super, super familiar with their defensive depth to really offer an opinion on that. Because I don't know who's coming up in the Blue Jacket system, so... Yeah. Well, I guess the other thing is, like, maybe they're paying, like, Boone Jenner too much. Well, he's only getting paid, what, two point... I think he's at almost four. Oh, my... Is he really? I Oh, Jesus. 3.75. Ooh. And, like, here's the thing. Columbus would be more than fine to... Well, here's the thing. Like, I don't think Columbus will subtract anything this year because they've got $5 million in cap space to play with. Yeah. I think they'd have space to add if the cap went up this year. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. Yeah. Yep. Like, I think the only real contract I think that they have that might be bad is... Yeah, it might be Boone Jenner. Shitty deal for them, man. Yeah. Like, yeah... Boone Jenner's your worst contract, and this is a guy who, and it's only 3.75, then, yeah. So, yeah, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to see what the Blue Jackets can pull off in, for next season. For sure, man. So let's move our attention to the Washington Capitals versus the New York Islanders. So, the <laughs> Islanders won this series in five games. As expected, New York came out and dominated Washington right from the outset. And... You know, before we get into any other comments about the players or anything like that, we got to talk about the one big thing that came out of this series. And I know you've been very critical, and rightly so, for Mike Milbury. Mike Milbury got himself in some hot water with some comments he made during this series. I don't even know what he was going on about. Ah. <sighs> From what I understand, apparently they were talking about guys in the bubble, and he says, you know, if you're with your teammates, that's great. And he says, yeah, there's no women to even distract you. And I'm like, oh. 
Which is such a... You know what? What's funny is if he had just changed like the, the word women to partying, it would have been a much... It well, would have been nothing. It would have been a true statement, and it wouldn't have come off so unsavory. Yeah, but you know what, though? If Don Cherry hadn't used the word immigrants, he'd still have a job with Hockey Night Canada today. Yeah, and it's because it's like... <sighs> buried under the retardation. There's a point. Because, like... And I've seen this used in talking about NBA, but they used, like, the term frolicking. Because, yeah, like, guys who are doing well like to party. It's true. And, you know, and I remember when the NBA first went in the bubble, a couple of the L.A. Clipper guys, like, they got in serious trouble for leaving the bubble to go to a strip club. And I know even in the NFL, and, well, they're not in a bubble at all, one of the rookie defensive guys from the Seattle Seahawks just got cut because he tried to sneak a woman into their uh, training camp. It's the worst thing because, like, there's a legitimate point under this. You know, and here's the thing. But Tim, here's the thing. The phrasing's just so bad. It like, is. It does imply, a, like, a bias against women. It's not, but you gotta realize, and not related to Milbury's comments, but, you know, you talk about guys in the bubble sneaking and women leaving the grocery clubs. These guys are in their mid-20s. They're, million, they're millionaires. They think that they're above everything. Why are we even that surprised they would leave the bubble? This is the difference between the them and the NHL guys because the NHL guys know that, okay, we're in the playoffs. We're going to win the Stanley... We're going to win the Stanley Cup. We've got our eyes on the prize and we're very focused and motivated. But I also think that there's a culture difference between the NBA and the NHL because the NHL is team first. The NBA isn't. Like, I guess, like, with basketball where you do have a game that teams, like, stars like stars are the team almost. Yep. I mean, hell, you did... look at LeBron. Look at LeBron in every team he he's ever played for. It was except the Heat. Yeah, except the Heat. And, you know, yet you know, the first year of the Lakers, I guess, too. But that's the thing. I mean, yeah, the NBA, it's a star-driven league. And really, it's not like the NHL where you need a full team to win a championship. The NBA, you just need, what, two or three great players. Look at the Miami Heat. Well, even, like, Toronto adding Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, well, to be fair, like... Toronto did just fucking dumpster the Nets. That is true. That is true. And, you know, it's funny that we're actually talking about the Islanders because I'm, I'm sure you heard that the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, they own the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. Yes. He, after the playoffs are over, he's permanently closing it down. So the Islanders are kind of screwed right now for a Wait, the Islanders are homeless for the second time in two seasons? Yes, I just read about that the other day. That I don't I don't know the the Russian guy that owns the Brooklyn Nets, but yeah, he just shut down Nassau Coliseum after the playoffs are done. So basically they're now forced to go back to the Barclays Center until their arena in Belmont Park is ready. It's a shame that uh, 
know would be cool? What? If the Islanders fans could uh, do something like raise money and just buy fucking Nassau like uh, Lambeau Field is owned by the Green Bay Packers fans. That is true. Or even the Saskatchewan Rough Riders too. Like they're owned by uh, the fans. Yeah, that's sick. That was like, yeah, that sucks that they have to go back, especially for the pets, because Barkley is terrible. It's one of the. It's not. It's a. It's an arena that is one hundred percent not suited for hockey. Well, I don't understand how the island, and I guess this is one of those ways where you look at like the upper upper management of uh, the Islanders, and it's like, how the hell do you? You you they partially bankrolled that stadium too. How the fuck do you screw that up? Like, how do you sign on and put some money into this stadium and not make sure that they thought about signing for hockey? Because, like, yeah, the sight lines are, are great for basketball. Yeah. Not that you'd want to watch the basketball team playing there, but that's true. Well, the thing is, Tim, is like when the Barclays Center was first opened. A, there was no NHL team going in there. It was just built for the Brooklyn Nets. That was their main thought process, is this is a basketball stadium, not a multi-purpose arena. It's not like Madison Square Garden. It's not like um, drawing a blank on the arena in that the Devils play out of. It's oh, not Prudential? Prudential, yeah. It's not like those kind it's of... It's not the AAC. Yeah, exactly. It's not stadiums like that where they're multi-purpose. You can have an NBA and an NHL team in there. Barclays Center was only meant for the NBA. Yeah. It's like if you... And I, I don't know if this is a good example. Like, if you were going to some of these other arenas that are basketball... I imagine basketball only, like, in Indiana or Memphis or some of these other cities. Try putting an NHL team in that arena. Well, I wonder what sort of retos they did for the old Key Center. Because wasn't that originally basketball only? No, it. Um, yes, yeah. The key, yeah, key arena was actually originally built for basketball. Like I think that was the kind of the mind. Because if you go into Google and you look up pictures of the Seattle Thunderbirds when they played out of that arena, it was kind of like the Islanders at Barclays Center. Like you could see the scoreboard over the blue line. Oh fuck. Yeah, but in fairness, Boston Garden was not built for, uh, you know, Boston Garden was built for both, and their fucking scoreboard hung over the blue line, too, so. Isn't Boston Garden also, like, forever years old? Yeah, it was originally built for, I think, uh, foot, not football, basketball, hockey, indoor track, and boxing. Oh, what a mix. Yeah, I know. So let's uh, talk about this series because I have to say there's not much I really have to say about the series. I did thought Jean-Gabriel Peugeot played well in that series, but... Maybe that wasn't a massive overpay. It it wasn't. It wasn't, especially because, you know, they're getting huge value out of him. Really, the only comments I got to make for this series has to be with Washington because think about it this way. They lose to their former head coach, who, by the way, the Capitals screwed him something hard in contract negotiations. The head coach that replaced Barry Trotz just got fired. Oh, you didn't do your voice. Well, do you want me to do the voice? I have to do the voice. You're 
fired. Feels better. There you go. Feel better? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So I think the only thing I got to mention about this series was Brayden Holpe because 100% he's also played this final game as a Washington Capitol because they have Ilya Samsonov in the wings waiting for him to take the starting position. And Holpe did not look good. No, he did not. And, you know, the one comment about the Holpe situation, and I remember when Nicholas Backstrom signed that extension earlier this year, one comment I didn't make was how this is going to affect Braden Holpe because they have Ilya Samsonov already ready to go. He seems to be the guy going forward, and that really leaves Holpe on, okay, is he going to stay? Is he not going to stay? But there's definitely teams out there that are going to take a huge run at him, most notably Calgary. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what he would actually get in free agency come whenever it starts. Yeah, and, like, what's going to be... What else is going to be kind of interesting is uh, what do the well? I guess like if they if the Caps let Braden Holt go, that's six million dollars to play with. Uh, you have to re-sign Radko Gudas. I'm not sure they bring back Brandon Dillon. No, I don't think so. Yeah, so at that point you've got the only other contract you really have is Travis Boyd at RFA. So you do have money to play with if you're the Capitals. You do, for sure. And, you know, Brayden Holpe, it is kind of sad to see him go in Washington because, you know, he will be the guy, when fans look back in 10 years on that Stanley Cup victory of 2018, they're going to look at him. Because think of it, they won the Stanley Cup with that stick save. I think it was on, who the hell was it, Nick Schmaltz or Alex Tuck or whatever? Yeah, yeah. That sealed the series right there for Washington. Well, imagine if the fucking Golden Knights won that year. That would have been amazing. Oh, yeah. It just every 30, all the rest of the 30 teams would just fold. I mean, they have. Yeah. They'd th- be legally obligated to. I think, yeah, I think so. I think they'd be like, well, fuck, I guess we're done. Yeah. Um, honestly, though, just watching the Islanders play, like, you can definitely see the genius of Barry Trotz at work. Like, it's a very organized team. They manage pucks well. They manage the boards well. They break out really well. And they they can really throw down the emergency blanket when they have to. Yeah, and that's the thing about the Islanders is that you look at their roster. They don't have the sexiest roster around. Like, they are a, they're a team that was built on... Very smart pickups, whether it be from trades, free agency signings, or even drafting. Because, I mean, you look at their ro- throw their roster, I mean, you see guys like, uh, who the hell is that? David Taves, Pajot obviously was made in a trade, Barzell, Eberle. Jordan Eberle. Yeah, you look at those kind of players and they're like, that's a really smart pickup by the Islanders. Yeah, and like even some of their homegrown guys like uh, Anders Lee and Josh Bailey, they're not flashy guys. No, or, but or they get the job or Brock or uh, Brock, Brock Nelson. Brock Nelson. Yeah, like that's the crazy thing is like the Islanders. It was scoring by committee, and the only guys there was only four players on that played a game in an Islanders jersey that did not score a point. Michael Del Cole, who played nine minutes. Ross Johnson, who played 10 minutes, Leo Komarov, and, Damon, and Devin T- 
guys who took a regular shift for the Islanders in the series. Only Kormorov and Taves didn't make the score sheet. Yeah, and that really says a lot about that roster if that, you know, like I said, they don't have the sexiest roster around, but when you're scoring by committee and you got solid goaltending with Simon, uh, Simon Varlamov, then, hey, you're going to go places. Oh, Simon Varlamov has been on a mission this playoffs. Like, he has been fantastic. Like, he had a .935 in this series. He had, like, a .93 in the previous series. Like, he's really playing to show that he earned the name that really got attached to him as kind of a fringe, elite, like an elite goalie. Yeah, and you know what's funny? We were talking about Barry Trotz. How do you think Washington feels? They lose to their former head coach and their former starting goaltender. That's going to suck. Yeah. I mean, it's not all bad for Washington because I don't know if you saw the announcement today, but... Alexander Ovechkin is going to be on the NHL 21 cover. Hey, all right. Honestly, I really do want to see Ovechkin catch Gretzky on the career goal list. But, like, he's got 200 to go. But it sucks for Ovechkin, too, because he's played through two compressed seasons and a walkout. Well, no, actually, he didn't play through the lockout because uh, he, he, he hadn't come over yet. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's like... Ovechkin definitely is one of those players who I think he should be able to catch Gretzky. And you know what's funny is that you you watch his style of play and he's been pretty healthy. He's not really suffered any serious injuries to him yet. No, and like the other big Ovechkin thing is you haven't really seen too much age-related decline in his play. But then again, now that I say that. I <laughs> know. Uh, maybe he'll just be like what, uh, you know, sluggers in baseball do once their age, once their skills get a- declined by age, they just go into a designated hitter role. Yeah, fair enough. So, Tim, let's move our attention to the fourth and final series of the Eastern Conference the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. The Boston Bruins ended up winning the series in five games. So, you know, I, again, I don't have much to say about this series, but I will talk... Well, I think we should talk a little bit about Tuka Rask because he opted out of this playoffs due to a family emergency. Yaroslav Halak took the reins. I can't believe how outraged people were that Tuka Rask had the nerve to leave the bubble to deal with his family. Like, that's just stupid. Like, okay, he's got a family emergency. Like, he is human. Like, he took time off this season because of it. Gotta hate people sometimes, Tim. Fans be fans, yo. (laughs) Fans, am I right? This is a series that, uh... It's another one where a lot of the games were a lot closer than they looked, but I just don't think that... Carolina has the firepower quite yet to get over the Boston Bruins. No, and the thing about Carolina is that, honestly, they have a lot to be proud of. Because, really, the one thing that they haven't really done in well over 20 years is make the playoffs back-to-back years. Like, think about this. Since the lockout of 0405. 
Do you know how many times the Carolina Hurricanes have made the playoffs, including this year? Uh, I think this is their fourth. Fourth, four years. Keep in mind, in those in those three previous years, Stanley Cup champion, conference, conference champion, finals conference finals, and conference finals. <laughs> and I mean, you, you have to go back. I think the last time they made the playoffs, back to back years, I believe was. 2001 and 2002, I believe. Because 02, they made to the finals. Right, because they beat the Leafs. Yeah. That is true. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to say. Boston's depth in this series was a key factor for them. A number of players played really good for them. I have to say, though, that Carolina's goalie duel did play really good early on. But Boston's depth and their big guys took their toll on both James Reimer and Peter Mrazek. Well, like, here's the thing. Like, Peter Mrazek still posted a .924, and all of all the games except for one were one-goal were one goal margins. So, like, it was close the whole way through. It is true, and I, I'm just bringing up the stats right here. It's, uh, let's see, 4-3, uh, 3-2. Only game three was the only one where... Boston won by two goals. Overall, it was like one goal games. Yeah. All like, the way. I felt they looked good through most of it. Yeah, and you know what? When you talk about rivalry, like newer rivalries in the Eastern Conference, I would, I actually am going to think that Boston and Carolina is going to be one because, again, they already have that built-in rivalry from the days when the Hurricanes were in Hartford. So you have that that New England rivalry and honestly if you were to go back and look at the carolina hurricanes playoff the years they made the playoffs they've played the bruins three times yeah and like and like the bruins teams they're they've never been pushovers and actually what's interesting is uh in i think the last game of the series like one of the games in this series it was just sorry the last game of the series Carolina kept Boston without an even strength point. It was just Boston converted on power plays. So, like, that's actually pretty impressive. So, like, I don't think, like, yeah, I don't think there's anything for this Carolina team to feel bad about. No, not at all. And, you know what, and they're still a very, very young team. They still have some really nice key pieces there. Rod the Bod has them playing great. So I, I am very f- interested to see how the Carolina Hurricanes are going to continue their success in the upcoming future. Yeah, uh, I guess just looking towards uh, their cap situation, uh, it'll be interested to see what they well they to see what money comes off. There's well, actually no, they're going to be in a great place salary wise because uh, Patrick Marlowe comes off their books next year. Yep, and they're going to have a high draft pick, too, because they're picking uh, with the 12th overall pick. Yep, and then, yeah, sorry, and their retained salary on Justin Falk also comes off, so that's $7 million. Like, sure, some of that's going to Warren Fogley, but, yeah, they've got money to play with. They do. They do, for sure. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this series if you want to turn your attention to the second-round predictions. Yeah, I'm going to predict some darn good hockey. That's what I'm predicting. Uh, you know what? I like those odds, Tim. 
Okay, so let's turn our attention to our second round predictions. Now, of course, we're going to start off in the Western Conference. The opening series, the Vegas Golden Knights versus the Vancouver Canucks. I think this is kind of a no-brainer. I'm picking the Golden Knights to sweep. Vegas' lineup and their depth is crazy good. Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, they have that goalie tandem. The one thing that Vegas does have, they have speed and they have defense. And I think that could probably stop Vancouver. And honestly, for the Vancouver Canucks, the only shot they have in this series, they have to make absolute zero. I mean, you could even argue negative zero mistakes to even have a shot in this series versus well, Vegas. Vegas is, like you're saying, like Vegas has defense and they've got speed. Their forward lines are just oppressive too, especially because I think they're all healthy right now too. So you have... Jonathan Mastrichel, Riley Smith, Paul Stasny, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, William Carlson. Yeah, and that's crazy. And then, of course, you got the the other guys like the Alex Tucks of the world. You know, Ryan Reeves is a big physical presence. And on the back end, I mean, you have, you know, Alec Martinez, Shea, we Shea Weber, Shea Theodore. You have players like that. So, honestly, I think it's not controversial at all to say that Vegas is going to sweep. But... You know, I'm going to stick with that, Tim, because honestly, I can't think of a reason why the Canucks would even or could even win a game in this. But but then again, I predicted Tampa and Columbus would go to seven games and they only went to five. So I predicted Vegas sweeping last round and Corey Crawford did steal a game. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Markstrom steals a game. That is true. That is true. But, uh, yeah, just... Watching Pacioretty, Carlson, Stone dismantle Horvat and like Horvat, Besser, and Pedersen was like that doesn't bode well for Vancouver. It doesn't. Although I will say one thing, Tim. Like, did you watch the uh, that Apple iPhone commercial that's been doing through all the games with Mark Andre Fleury and Mark Stone? Vaguely. It's the one where uh, they decided to do the whole commercial with just an iPhone. Right. Yeah, where they have, like, the hockey tapes, so they tape it to a stick and whatever. And that's an all right ad. I mean, honestly, it, it's yeah. better than the Lays. The Lays and the Pepsi ads, which are stupid. Oh, like the one with uh, Jim Houston's weird haircut? That is really weird. Like, what the hell is that? Like, is that some kind of, like, Pete Rose kind of haircut going on there? I don't know. We call that a bowl cut. Or what about uh, Jim Carrey and Dumb... Well, I guess Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber was a bull cat, but... Yeah, that was bull cat, Tay. Uh, what was I going to make? Oh, yeah, my other comment. Nobody would ever watch hockey and eat Frosted Flakes. There, I said it. You know what, Tay? I'm going out to the store tomorrow. I am buying my ass some Frosted Flakes, and I'm going to eat Frosted Flakes while watching hockey. And I've gotten the approval from my wife. This is happening. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, That's just so stupid. Like, Jesus. Like, Shit's tasty, bruh. You know what? I'm going to say right now. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Frosted Flakes. It's just corn flakes with sugar on it. That's all it is. Yeah. It's bullshit. That's why they're good. <laughs> Honestly, though, I am a Rice Krispie sort of guy. I always pictured you more of a Special K kind of guy. Really? I don't know why. Is it, is it because of my physique? 
Mm, I don't know. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, in, fair, in fairness, I don't know. If we were talking cereal, I could see Special K. Yeah. Actually, I haven't had, like, I guess the last sugary cereal I had was Mini Wheats. That's really the only cereal I ever eat anymore because, like, I don't like a lot of sugary cereals anymore. Like, Fruit Loops. Overrated. They all taste the same. They do. Captain Crunch. It's like chewing I, on razor blades. I couldn't eat that even as a kid. Corn Pops. I wanted to like it. Corn Pops was just awful. The problem with Corn Pops is you have about a week to eat them before they get stale and soft. Duh. You know what they remind me of is um, the Crustios from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, except, you know, Corn Pops didn't have the, uh, the, the sharp razor over, though. No, that's Captain Crunch. That's true. Uh, actually, Honeycomb is lit. You know what? My mom used to buy us Honeycombs and Honey Nut Cheerios, and I just got so sick of eating it all the time. <laughs> actually, talking about Mini Wheats, I'm very upset they got rid of the strawberry ones, though. Oh, those are gone. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're supposed to be talking about hockey. Okay, so let's turn our attention to the Colorado Avalanche and the Dallas Stars. Okay, so keep in mind... I wrote all this down before the series started. I said the Avalanche in six. I did not realize that Philip Grubar was going to get injured. My my notes really are Colorado is 100% healthy. That's no longer a fucking thing anymore, apparently. Their top line is rolling. They have a potential MVP caliber player in Nazem Kadri. The one thing about Dallas, and I think people are... Again, people don't realize about Dallas is that they do boast a very solid first line. The, the the veteran pickups of Corey Perry and Joe Pavelski were pretty savvy. The one thing, and maybe I'm the minority here, Tim, I think Dallas actually has a debatably better defense because they have Miro Heishkinen and John Klingberg anchoring the number one, number two right-handed defense shots. Yeah, but at the same time, Kale McCarr and Samuel Kale McCarr, Nikita Zadorov, and Samuel Girard. That is it. That is also a pairing. That is true. However, Colorado did lose Eric Johnson, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, like the thing is, is like Dallas kept rolling from uh, their absolute spanking of uh, the Flames last weekend. Yeah. And the Ben line looked like the Ben Sagan Radulov line looked fantastic. They did for sure, and so Actually, that's going to be question. A, what's up? If you went back in time and redid the 2010 entry draft, would you pick Hall or would you pick Sagan? If I had to go back and redo it, yeah, you have the first overall pick. You know. Say again. I have to go say again just because he did play a role that's more coveted at center. And overall, I think he boasts more off. I, that's so. Fuck, I don't know. That's tough. I would say say again overall just because of how he's produced. But Taylor Hall was a pretty good first overall pick, though. Oh, for sure. But uh, 
I guess it's also Sagan's been on better teams. Because, like, he got to start in Boston, for God's sake. He won, he won a cup in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, quick question, Tim. Because me and my cousin yeah. were talking about this when I was at his place. And we were talking about Taylor Hall, and I was saying... I can't remember how we got talking about him, but... And I was talking about Taylor Hall, and I said, you know what? That... And I made a comment that I thought Alexander Barkov was a better player. Am I kind of wrong for saying that? Because I, I kind of told him, I was like, well, you know, Barkov is younger. He brings more to the table than Taylor Hall does. That... Oh. That's a, Barkov is a very good player. But, like, Taylor Hall is Taylor Hall. He is Taylor Hall, but... That's a really tough one, eh? Like, Alexander Barkov does... To me, he just brings more to the table. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Especially his uncanny ability not to take a penalty. Yeah. But yeah, like at 24, we're at two points per game. Honestly, you know, there have been seasons where like Taylor Hall just goes in. He, he dominates for a season. Like especially his second season in New Jersey when they made the playoffs. Yep. Sorry, first Jersey. Yeah, when New Jersey made the playoffs and uh, that the lockout shortened season in Edmonton. But like the weird thing about Taylor Hall is the guy just can't finish. Like, he's a good playmaker, but he just can't finish plays. It's kind of weird. It's true. But I would say that I don't think you're wrong to say that. Like, you could argue, yeah, that Barkov is better than Hall. I don't think it's crazy, but I think I'd still say Hall is better. There's a debate. But I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. So, Tim, let's turn our attention to the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Islanders. Once it, you know, again, you've got to realize I wrote all of this down before the series started. So I, I'm fair. We start podcasting while the series started. It's true. So I'm going with the Flyers in six. And I think for me, the big key in the series will be Carter Hart. Now, this is no disrespect to Varlamov. Carter Hart right now is the superior goalie who's on an absolute roll. Now, the thing about Billy, I'm giving them the slight edge over the Islanders. A, because of Carter Hart, but because their top talent as a whole, I would say, is better than the Islanders. And that's no disrespect, as we talk about, you know, Barzell, Anders Lee, Pajot, Everly. But when you look at the Philadelphia Flyers, I mean, they boast guys like Claude Giroux. They boast guys like Jacob Vorchak. They have those kind of very, very talented players up front. Their defense is really no slouch. And, that, and that's not a knock on the Islanders. I think the Islanders are kind of in the same boat with them, but I just think their offensive talent is higher on the Flyers than the Islanders. I would agree, although I think uh, you're probably selling like the Islanders' defensive set system a bit short because it is a very structured... Like, they play a very strong structured game. They do kind of dominate the boards, and Valramov is on a mission. So I think, I think I like Philly to win this series, but I think it's a seven-game series. Yeah, and that's the thing, and... This is probably the one series, the Eastern Conference, the Eastern Conference series were more hard to really pick a winner because it's like, it was so hard to look at those teams and be like, that team's better than that team because it's like, they're both pretty equal in a yeah, way, in a way, especially for the next season, the next series. Yeah. And so, and, and you're right. I, I'm not trying to sell the Islanders defense short, but again, I just look at Philly and I'm thinking, on paper, that just seems like a better team, but the Islanders 
do but, do the little things right. At the same time, Jean Gabriel Pajot has a hat trick in him, and you don't know where it's coming. You from. know what? I'm going to say right now. I bet you anything, four or more. Maybe he tops out at five. Yeah, but it's like Pajot is clutch, so like that's why I think this one goes at least to seven. If Philly wins. I'm I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that prediction, yeah. Tim. Okay, so right. now we turn to the final series in the Eastern Conference: the Tampa Bay Lightning versus the Boston Bruins. So after after some serious debate, who this is gonna be a I'm gonna go fight. here. I'm gonna go Tampa Bay in seven. Tampa's roster is absolutely sick from top to bottom. The Bruins lineup, while not as stacked as the Lightning, they do have the playoff experience. The big thing for Boston is going to be Yaroslav Halak, because now he is the guy, because Tuka Rask is not coming back. And so I'm very interested to see how he does going up against the Kucherovs, the Johnsons, Hedbergs, Sergej Kevs, guys like that on the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm very interested to see how he stacks up in that series. He stood tall in game one. In a game that, honestly, both teams were just absolutely flying. Like, that was a game where you didn't want to be a goalie. And uh, if a few bounces went a different way, it would have been an overtime game or Tampa victory. Like, that game was, it was that incredible to watch. Like, Tampa was absolutely flying. But at the same time, there were times where Boston was able to kind of really compress Tampa into their own zone, especially for the first half of that third period. Tampa really couldn't get anything going. And then all of a sudden, they broke that game open. For and sure. just absolutely took it to the Bruins. I, uh, I absolutely agree with that, Tim. And yeah, you're right. This is going to be an absolute knife fight of a series. But I think in the end, I think the offense will step up. I will say in the seventh game, though, it's going to be a one-goal game. It's going to be tight right to the end. And I think this is going to be probably the most exciting series of the second round. Oh, I'm going to watch every game of it. Absolutely. I'll probably keep an eye on that, too. So, Tim, do you yeah. have any more comments you want Who to make? Who do you think on? has the winner in that one-goal game? Ooh, You know what? I'm going to say it's going to be a guy in the bottom six. Oh, I was going to say Hedman. Tepin's a good one. I was going to say maybe Scherzichev, but no, I'm going to say it's going to be a bottom six guy who maybe only plays like 10 minutes a night who comes out of nowhere and just pots the winner. Yeah, fair enough. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on the playoffs if you would just want to head off into the close for another evening. Yes, sounds good. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I... Love recording that for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger, and I'm at Great Way Gipster, GR8 W A T E Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about our episode that we did this evening, choose an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Or if you don't feel like shooting us an email, go ahead and be a bot and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Yeah, uh, maybe throw a tweet our way as well. Until next time, guys. 
I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetsy. Go Sands, guys.